The Unstuff America podcast is hosted by the most organized man in America, Andrew Mellon. Listen in for Andrew's take on America's clutter crisis. From guns to gold, he dives deep into America's self-destructive obsession with possession and how that impacts the American dream. Get real-life tools and strategies to take responsibility, set yourself free, and live your values every day. And now, Andrew Mellon. Hi, and welcome to Unstuff America. I am your host, Andrew Mellon, and we have an amazing guest with us today, the inimitable Susan Piver, who is a mindfulness meditation teacher, a New York Times bestselling author, a dear friend, a kick-ass spirit in the it's not a war, it's a, it's a revolution of transformation, personal and global transformation. So she's just, she's, I, I think the world of Susan and I'm going to start to cry. So <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to turn it over to her to tell us a little bit about yourself, Susan, you know, uh, what your home life is like. Do you live alone? Do you live with other people? What's that like as it relates to stuff? Just to kick us off and then we'll, uh, we'll climb into some uh, deeper topics. Sure. And <laughs> Uh, I love you too. <laughs> I'm really, really happy to be here with you. Thank you so Thanks. much. Of course. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a mindfulness meditation teacher. I'm a writer. And I have an online community called the Open Heart Project where I try to make meditation instruction as widely available as I can. Excellent. And I'm married. I live with my partner. We've been married for 19 and a half years. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. And... <laughs> One of us <laughs> really likes to keep things and have things. And the other one of us does not like to keep things and have things. So for the latter personality, a streamlined, clean environment is preferable. But for the former personality, that feels cold and critical. Mm. Yeah. That person feels cozy. With, with stuff and tchotchkes and so on. So that has been a real uh, issue for us in our relationship. For sure. Yeah, and uh, so often with stuff, stuff discordant couples where there is that tension, it's, uh, it's a real challenge in finding common ground. And often when I work with couples or talk to couples in workshops and other settings, we talk a lot about wh what's, the, what's the common need or the common solution to a common problem, right? If the house isn't functioning, where do we find common solution where everybody feels safe in the house and nobody feels overextended or uncomfortably compromised, right? Everybody's going to have to compromise. The people who like tremendous order are going to have to surrender some of that need for control because they're living with somebody who doesn't want that or need it or value it. And likewise, the people who are happy taking off their clothes and dropping them on the floor next to the bed and thinking that that's a fine home for the clothes that they're not wearing any longer need to figure out a way to get them closer to the hamper possibly so that the other person doesn't feel quite like they're living in a laundry pile, right? And so it's, it's that constant negotiation, always remembering the harmony of our relationship is, is superior to either one of our independent in the moment comfort, right? We're going to surrender a little bit of momentary comfort for the greater comfort of knowing that the relationship is a dynamic living being that is evolving and pushing and pulling on both of us. Well said. 
Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Thanks. So tell us, because this is my favorite part, what inspires you? What are you passionate about? And then what pisses you off? What, when you look around the world, when you look around your apartment, when you look around your local community, where do you see, um, not so much about righteous anger, although I'm all for righteous anger at, at times, but really the problem that you, that you know there's a, a viable solution for, right? There are some problems that we're all going to need to lean into in a significant way over a long period of time to affect any meaningful change. And then there are other things that you see where you think, good grief, 15 minutes and this, could not be an, this would not be an issue for anybody. Can we just get about the business of doing something about this? Well, those are really great questions. And so what I'm passionate about is learning and teaching. Mm -hmm. I'm a classic Sagittarius, I suppose. <laughs> I really, I love both of those. I'm passionate about the Dharma. I'm a Buddhist practitioner of more than 20 years, and passion doesn't even cover how the gratitude and benefit the gratitude I have and the benefits I've received from studying Buddhism. So deeply, deeply passionate about that. I'm passionate about the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. and I'm passionate about communication, communication styles. What does it mean to listen? How can you express yourself clearly? What would you do when you don't understand? I'm really, really interested in those topics. And I guess what really upsets me is people that do not know how to listen, that confuse the giant bubble of self you know, that we all travel in, I'm sitting in my own right now, <laughs> with you. Like, I can't tell the difference between you and my judgments and opinions and theories about whatever. That right. really pisses me off. Yeah. And I think like, the problem, a huge problem, and is, this may sound trite, but it's actually, I don't think it is, is unfriendliness. Mm. We live in a world of unfriendliness, inhospit inhospitable. Mm -hmm. And without, you know, we sort of think, well, I don't care. Is it, it means I have no worries. I'm a superior person. I don't need to care about you and what you feel or the trash and where I put it. And, you know, everything's cool. But there's a sort of a deficit of caring in our world, caring for the world, caring for each other, caring for ourselves, that results in a sort of unfriendliness and I live in Boston, a classically unfriendly place. You know, many other good things about it. But I moved here from Texas and I was stunned by the quality, general quality of unfriendliness and how much that impacted my sense of well-being. Wow. That takes 15 minutes to fix. Yeah. I mean, that's a smile and a hello. I mean, exactly. it's, as, it's as easy as I, I'm always amazed in here. I live in Manhattan and in the elevator riding up to a floor, I'll say hello to somebody, not because I want to rob them or sleep with them, but just because we're in a closed box riding up. And it just seems like the thing to do instead of pulling out my mobile phone and texting somebody, I could just say, hey, you're, you are my neighbor. There's 486 apartments in this building, right? So there's a lot of us. And it just seems like an opportunity to say hello rather than pretending like I don't, like I'm by myself. It changes things. Yeah. We live in an apartment too. And I told my husband, we're living there. Because when I walked in here to look at our apartment, the person leaving the building said hello to me. <laughs> we're in, sold. <laughs> Those little things are not little. Yep. Excellent. All right. Well, let's talk about organization. On a scale from one to 10, 
one being the least organized and 10 being the most organized, where would you put yourself on that scale? You know, that's no judgment, one. you know. No, no, no I appreciate it. <laughs> I would say 6.5. Mm, very good. I'm not right. disorganized. I, I, I think people looking at me might think she's disorganized. But I feel, I don't feel that way. Right. Do you know where your car keys are? Do you know where your mobile phone is? Do you Not know where always. your bag is? Mm-mm. Not always. Mm. No, those things, I know, I know the triangle, I know. <laughs> I'm not so good at those things. And, and my husband often says, well, if you always, just like you have said, if you just put your keys in the same place every time, you will not lose them. And right. to which I say, if I was the kind of person who could remember to put my keys in the same place every time, <laughs> I would not have this problem. But right. I'm not absent-minded. I'm a mindfulness teacher and so right. on. But I am absent-minded about, I don't know. I don't know why it is. It's like, I just think it's a personality thing. I, I don't know. But, but I don't have any trouble knowing where my things are. Right. The classic for me is it's not lost. I just don't know where it is. Got it. Got it. Well, let's see if we can get a hook by the front door. So at least you can hang your keys up when you come in. Oh, there's you know, a dish. Not, if it, okay, well, so let's just see if we can, let's, maybe, maybe let's make that an Unstuff America challenge for the next 30 days to just see if you can hit that bowl for 30 days with your car keys. Let's what just see. What, what do I get if I win? Uh, I'll get you, uh, I'll, you'll get the very first Unstuff America t-shirt. Okay. <laughs> it's a deal. I will make you a t-shirt. I'm motivated. I'm very awesome. motivated right now. All right, cool. Um, what was the last thing, if you can remember, excluding food and other consumables that you purchased? Well, do vitamins count? Uh, let's get, uh, that's a supplement. I think we'll keep that in that kind of consumable world. So if, is there something that you purchased? Now, I know that you had a little headset envy, so you might be purchasing one of these headsets. Oh, but <laughs> I probably was a dress. A dress? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to have uh, pictures taken from my website, and I wanted a certain color dress. Got it. Okay. That, very good. And can you remember the last thing that you let go of? Oh, yeah. Um, like three hefty trash bags full of clothes and shoes and stuff I didn't no longer needed that went to little brothers, friends of the elderly. Excellent. I'm going to ring the bell for that. Thank you. That's awesome. Good work. I uh, love that. Now, would you say, even with that awesome donation, would you say that you still have more things and stuff than you need and use, or do you feel like you're at stuff equilibrium? Do you feel like you have just enough? I have a little bit more than just enough. There are still some things, like there are a couple drawers and, you know, a few, too many electronics um, that I don't use. But I would say on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being I only have the things I need, probably at like seven. Okay. So a little further north of on organization, I mean, your stuff is a little tidier in some ways than you are. Absolutely. I would not say I'm a super neat person. Like my husband is neater than me. Yeah. But he's very habitual and I'm not. Got it. So that's a strange dynamic. Yep. All right, well, let's talk about work and your practice and how organization and simplifying influences your choices around the decisions you make at work so, or in your practice. And by your practice, I mean your bigger practice, not just your, your sitting meditation practice, but the practice of Open Heart Project and your work in the world. So 
when you think about it, um, how does organization and simplifying influence those choices when you're working? Well, it is essential. And I have struggled to routinize my work life. I mean, we're both self-employed. We have yeah. our own businesses. We are our own product. There's a lot of strange psychology in that. And we work in a room by ourselves most of the time. Right. It's like a hall of mirrors. <laughs> uh, but I, so I have periods of really falling apart and not just like, eh, I don't know what's going on. And then periods of just boom, boom, boom. It's rocking. And I often will think, however, I want to add that, what did I do today? I, I, I might, I, did I accomplish anything? I don't feel like I'm getting any traction. But then, you know, I've written nine books. And I have an author <laughs> with almost 20,000 people in it. And I have a full teaching schedule. And so I'm not sitting there twiddling my thumbs. Right. So I have to remind myself that I actually can accomplish things. But it's not like this for me. It's like this. Uh-huh. Uh, here's a quote. I just opened my notebook that I want to read that I've been oh, awesome. trying to, that, that has been my ruling principle. Inconsistency is fatal for change. I love that. That's very concise. So I'll just tell you briefly about my organizational system because I'm very serious about it. Please. Um, and I probably is 65 to 75% adhere to it. Okay, excellent. So, and just stop me if I'm giving you too much detail, but yeah, I, I, I practice and I wake up, I practice and study. This, this is very important to me could mean any number of things. Practice and study. Journal. Remind myself of my goals because believe it or not, I forget what they are. There's seven. I literally write them down every day. I write down three things that if I could do them, today would be friggin' awesome. And then I write. I've, re I've rearranged my schedule in the last month so that Monday, Tuesday, and Friday are creating days. I write, I make videos, I make recordings. I, it's for creating. Because I find it difficult to toggle between creating and developing or administrating. Sure. And then Wednesday and Thursday are for developing and administrating. And that is working well for me. The thing that sort of puts it over the top that enables me to stay with this, super, super geeky. Um, and I learned it from a, a book called Triggers, which was very helpful to me. Um, I have seven things that I want to do each day. <laughs> I want to practice and study. I want to move my business forward. I want to be kind to my friends and family. I want to be loving towards my husband. I want to take care of my health. And I want to adhere to my weekly schedule that I just mentioned to you. So I write down, there's one other one, I can't forget it, but there's seven. I write down one through seven on my date book. And then at the end of the day, I give myself a grade. Can you see that? Yes. Ten on number one. I get it. You know, eight on number two. Oh, the seventh one is write five hundred words a day. Got it. Okay. Not very much. And then I keep it in a spreadsheet, and I literally add them up and see what did I do each week for each one of those categories, and what did I do overall? And there's something about you know, there's no one grading me. There's nobody here but me. Right. But there's something about tracking that in this very numeric way that keeps me focused because my brain, my mind will just keep expanding. I don't mean that, in a, I'm not trying to compliment myself. It will just meander. Right. 
So I need serious containment. Got so, it. That's, that's awesome. I, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, it's it's great. And so uh, for the listeners, we can uh, we'll uh, we'll look for that uh, book trigger and see if we can find uh, some information out about that, and we can include that in in some information when we publish the the podcast. Uh, so let's talk about the community a little bit. If you could change one thing about the world today, and now maybe that is still unfriendliness, but maybe it's something else, right? I mean, we've talked about that, but if you could change one thing about the world today, what would that be? It would be people's doubt in themselves. It's doubting your own goodness, your own worthiness, that leads to tremendous difficulties and problems. And yeah, we're not all goody goodies, and some people really are horrible, but the seed of violence, the seed of aggression, the seed of rage, the seed of Hatred and ignorance is that feeling of, I don't matter. Mm. I'm not worthy. That's it. That is what gives rise to all the craziness and chaos that we experience. My teacher has said, you know, a lot of chaos is in the world is because people don't feel appreciated. Mm. That, that may sound very first world, but it isn't. It really isn't. It's being made to feel that you don't matter or conversely being made to feel that you matter in a fake BS way that leads to violence. Right. So if I could change one thing, it would be the horrible, harsh, critical judge that lives in our mind that is grading us every minute of the day that that person would take a powder. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Thank you. And when you think about Unstuff America and the idea of uh, both literally America bursting at the seams and metaphorically bursting at the seams, what comes up for you? What, what, what does that evoke for you? Well, you know, one of the things that I love about your work, among many things, is how you bring mindfulness into the world of stuff. The way you teach it and the way you support others, it's not about Let's have everything look perfect so you can feel like when people come to your house, they think, oh, that person's really organized. It's, can I be mindful? Can I appreciate the things I have, care about them, and not just keep trying to consume because I want a certain appearance or I want to create a certain feeling. So your work is not superficial. It, it, comes, it cuts in at the, at the deeper level of the way we relate to our, our things. I'll tell you a story very, very briefly. Sure. I, this was a long time ago. I went with my husband to visit an old family friend of his. He, he's a very waspy guy. I say that with a lot of love. Um, but then this was an, a friend of his parents who somehow left the waspy world he grew up in and became like a Zen Buddhist in the 50s. Wow. Lived in New York City. And we went to visit her. This has got to be 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And she lived in like one of the last rent controlled apartments in Greenwich Village. And the second we walked into her, her place was very ordinary, threadbare. It was obvious that everything she had, she had, she had for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, Andrew, when I walked into that apartment, I felt like I was walking into a palace. Wow. Everything felt so elegant. Everything, I, I sat up straighter. 
I felt very awake and like I wanted my manners to be good. Even though everything was very ordinary, I didn't feel at all casual, nor did I feel that it was pretentious in any way. Right. She, she served us like some cookies. I think they were like Chips Ahoy or something. <laughs> and they tasted awesome. Uh -huh. And as I've thought about this over the years, what gave rise to that elegance? I, I felt like what she had was she cared about everything she owned. Not for a superficial way, but it's like, like if she had happened to have an iPhone cover, she would care about how, what this felt like. And she would have a place that she put it and be like, and she would appreciate putting it back in its place. Yeah. Not for some habitual reason, but because that's where it lives. So there was a sense that she had imbued everything in her surroundings with her own caring heart. Mm -hmm. And that radiated. Wow. And I feel like when you approach unstuff, your life, and how do you relate with stuff, you're, you're encouraging people to care in that way and put their heart into their environment. So that's what it means to me. I think it's a very beautiful thing you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's great. It's a great story too. And when we think about um, the things that surround us and treating them with respect and not thinking of them as disposable, even if they are disposable, that that, you know, it denigrates the item, it cheapens it in a way beyond its material value where it is that thing about when everything's precious, nothing's precious. It's the reverse of that. If nothing's precious, then nothing's precious. Mm -hmm. That you're really, if, if you just think of everything as disposable, then why, why is it around you, right? I mean, if it's not serving a purpose and you haven't made a specific choice to have this thing here mm -hmm. to serve you, right? I mean, let's be clear that we don't, whether it's art or it's a coffee mug, it doesn't matter. It's, it's there by default because it arrived. Somebody died, you inherited it, or you went out and bought it, or you picked it up off the street. It doesn't, its journey into your life on some level doesn't matter. but once now that it's there and you are the proper steward of it until it leaves or you leave, is it serving you to be your best self and participate in the world? Or is it just another thing that's taking up space? And this, I mean, this woman sounds like an amazing person for that, uh, that's, that she could take something like even a threadbare antique rug or sofa and you would feel like you were at buckingham palace because because of the way she cared for it and about it so it's the same thing too you know just throwing your stuff on the floor i so here's another here's a dovetail on that when i was at one of the uh teachings of the dalai lama i had we had gotten some books um and I had set them on the floor for a second, and a Tibetan woman sitting next to me said, no, 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 pick those up. If you, I mean, do never, never put teachings on the floor. If you put them on the floor, you won't get more. And, uh, and it wasn't about the more as much as the idea that respect, this is, I mean, this is ancient wisdom that somebody is sharing with you. Do not put it where you put your feet, right? right? Exactly. Pick it up and, and put it, give it a place of, of prominence and, a, and of significance worthy of what it is. And um, That's the same principle, exactly. Yeah. It, exactly. And yeah, it's about respect and appreciation and it, it changes the way the environment feels. Exactly. And I think it also then 
it, uh, it affects how we go out onto the world and consume things and participate in the world because it means that if you have a chewing gum wrapper, you're going to wait until you get to the corner and put it in the trash bin. You're not just going to drop it on the street thinking, well, somebody will pick this up or not even thinking that you care whether somebody picks it up or not, that it's not your home. So it really doesn't matter, which of course is ridiculous because it is your home. The world is your home. So why, where did that mindset come from? And so often what I discover is I think that the mindset is the absence of a mindset. It's not, it's not that somebody chose to be ignorant or, uh, self-involved. It was the absence of anything informing an alternative choice. Mm-hmm. So by default, they're just functioning the best way they can with little information. And we don't even know the quantity of curiosity that they might have. We just know that right now they're functioning at a functional level, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they left the home, they probably had clothes on their body, they weren't naked. And, you know, they were able to move around time and space. And that's, that was, that was what they were hoping to achieve. Nothing greater than that. And, and for me, it's, it's so important that we encourage folks to dig deeper, right? I mean, we're here for however long we're here. What do you, what do you want to make this experience about? I mean, it could be just about going to the corner store and picking up a pack of gum, but when it's over, I would hope that your life mattered more to you and to those around you than you were just a purchaser of chewing gum and a walker of streets. (laughs) I want that on a (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah, in the Buddhist view, there's like three ways to attain enlightenment. The first way is to become a monastic. Just go live somewhere someone else is cleaning up. Someone gives you your food. I mean, you work to help clean up and stuff, but basically you live in community and you just focus on your practice. Or you could become what's called a forest yogi, like a wandering mendicant with a begging bowl. You just go out into the world and meditate in a cave for 30 years and just see what happens. You and I, we're not doing those things. No, we are not. Both of those are about renouncing conventional life. But the third path is called the householder path, which is when you take conventional life as your practice. Mm. So the way you eat your food and cook your food and keep your house and wear your clothes and treat friends and talk on the phone and the way you do the things of ordinary life are not separate from what you would do in a church or a temple. They are your practice. Right. So that is a very, you know, that is a path to enlightenment that is just as valid as the other, as the other two. And it's, yeah. it can be a sacred thing, not a woo woo, like, no, thing, right. yeah. but like a fierce thing. Yeah. Well, and that's been, I, I, Years and years ago, and for a long period of time, I was on that fence of, should I just excuse myself and go sit someplace? Should I just pull myself apart and leave this construction and just go sit and be quiet, you know, sit on the side of a river and sit and sit? Mm-hmm. And it it's just not my path. I mean, it, I, it's, I considered it for a long, long time. And for better and for worse, being here among everybody else just is where it makes sense for me to be here. Yes, well, we need you, so thank you. (laughs) And in the Buddhist view, interestingly, the householder path, to me, this is fascinating, is not a layman's path. Mm. It is just as intense and powerful a path as any other spiritual practice. 
Yeah, well, that's encouraging. And hopefully the listeners can take that in. And I mean, for, for those folks who do struggle with, as we talked about at the beginning, that idea of unworthiness or lack of uh, sufficient worthiness, that, that living mindfully, being aware of what you're doing in a conscious, careful, thoughtful, consistent way is noble and not in any way diminished if you, I mean, whether you, whether you have a larger spiritual view of the world or you don't, you are not creating more mess in the world by living that way, which is in some ways, I don't want to say it's the best we can hope for, but I think it's, it's something worthy to hope for is that at the end of this experience, if, if what we leave behind is nothing more than we can easily dispatch with, then we haven't left a mess for others behind us. So well said. That's really well said. And at least, you know, I mean, that idea of sustainability, of keeping it a zero-sum experience so that we can take on the larger macro issues of our carbon footprint and all of that, all of that consumption on that level, the, na the nation, the 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 world and how we chew through natural resources. But on the micro level, that sometimes becomes daunting for folks to think about. I can't take that on. I can, you know, can barely tie my shoes and find my car keys, right? So I don't want to, I, I want that to change, but I feel powerless or impotent to do anything or distracted or overwhelmed. So great. You don't have to necessarily just clean up after yourself. Don't leave a mess behind you and you will have the same ripple effect and significance mm -hmm. as, the, as the, the lobbyist or the, you know, the activist or the advocate who's out in the world pushing for big change. If everyone or even half people on earth cleaned up after themselves, we would have a different planet. Yeah. There's, it cannot be under, undervalued and underemphasized how important it is to clean up your messes yeah. on, on every level. Awesome. Well, uh, we're just about at time. So I just want to see, is there any last thoughts, words that you'd like to share with the listeners? This has been great. <laughs> I just know, I just really appreciate being able to talk with you about this very important part of everyday life in a way that brings mindfulness and soulfulness into the topic. So I, I just appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Susan. Well, this has been another episode of Unstuff America. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you here again next time. Thanks, Susan, for joining us. It's been great having you. Thanks for listening to Unstuff America. If you like the podcast, the best compliment you can give us is to share it with a friend and subscribe, rate, and review at iTunes.